New London, Connecticut, Sunday, June 4th, 1950. Racing neck and neck between the buoys, the two sleek, sculled, coxed eights skidded down the mirror-still surface of the Thames. Rowing stroke for Yale, Jack McAuliffe feathered an instant too soon and caught a grab and heard the cox, Leo Kritzky, swear under his breath. At the four-fifths mark, Leo pushed the pace to a sprint. Sliding on the seat until his knees grazed his armpits, Jack made a clean catch and felt the blade lock onto a swell of river water. A splinter of pain stabbed at the rib that had mended and broken and mended again. Blinking away the ache in his ribcage, he hauled back on the haft of the oar, slick with blood from a burst blister. He caught a glimpse of the Harvard eight riding on its inverted reflection, its oars catching and feathering and squaring in flawless synchronization. When the Yale skull soared across the finish line just ahead of the Crimson's hull, he slumped over his oar and tried to recollect what whim of craziness had pushed him to go out for crew. In your view, Coach Waltz, what's the most difficult moment of a race? called the reporter from the Yale student newspaper. Waltz screwed up his lips. I'd say it's when you reach for the next stroke because you're actually going in one direction and the hull's going in the opposite direction. I always tell my men that rowing is a metaphor for life. If you're not perfectly balanced over the keel, the boat will wobble and the race will slip through your fingers. Anyone for a green cup down at Maury's, Walt said. Mind if I take a rain check, coach, one of the oarsmen asked. One after another, the rowers begged off and headed back to college with their duffel bags slung from their shoulders. Only Jack and Leo, and Leo's girl, Stella, took the coach up on his invitation. Maury's was nearly deserted when they got there. Two waiters and a handful of students, all wearing ties and jackets, applauded the victory over the arch-enemy Harvard. Green cups for my people, the coach called as the four of them pulled up high-backed wooden chairs around a small table. When the green cups arrived, Coach Waltz raised his glass and saluted the two crewmen. Cocking his head, he casually asked them if they spoke any foreign languages. It turned out that Jack was fluent in German and could get by in Spanish. Leo, an ardent, angry young man who had been raised in a family of anti-communist Russian-Jewish immigrants and was majoring in Slavic languages and history on a full scholarship, spoke Russian and Yiddish like a native and Italian like a tourist. Jack offered an impassioned defense of Truman's airlift that had forced Stalin to back down on the blockade. If Berlin proves anything, he said, it's that Joe Stalin understands only one thing, and that's force. Leo believed that America ought to go to war rather than abandon Berlin to the Reds. Coach said, I'm curious to know how you men see this McCarthy business. Jack said, All right, maybe Jim McCarthy's overstating his case when he says the government is crawling with card-carrying commies. But like the man says, where there's smoke, there's fire. The way I see it, Leo said, we need to put some pizzazz into this new central intelligence agency that Truman concocted. We need to spy on them the way they're spying on us. That's the ticket, Jack hardly agreed. On the way back to the off-campus apartment that Leo and Jack shared when they weren't bunking at the Yale boathouse on the House of Tonic, with a Russian exchange student named Yevgeny Alexandrovich Tsipin, Leo tried to argue with Stella, but she stuck to her guns.
Stella slipped her arm through Jack's, lightly brushing a breast against his elbow. Leo's angry with me, Jackie, she said with a mock pout. But you see my point. To tell the truth, I see two of them, Jack said with a leer. I hope you're not trying to beat my time, Leo warned. I thought crew shared everything, Jack said. Leo stopped in his tracks. So what are you asking, Jack? Are you asking me to lend you Stella for the night? You're doing it again, Jack warned good-naturedly, exposing the chip on your shoulder. When is it going to sink in, Stella told Jack. The chip on his shoulder is what he's all about. She turned on Leo. Let's get something straight, she said, her face a mask of seriousness.